What's up, homies? How is everybody doing in the house tonight? All right. So, before we do anything else, I need you to do two things, okay? So first, I need you to stand up, everybody. Real quick, I know y'all just sat down. This is the only movie I'm going to ask of you. I'm going to invite Bella Bible back out on stage. Because I heard somebody has a birthday today. And I feel like since it's her birthday, even though we have a small crowd tonight, we should sing to her, all right? Here we go. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Bella. Happy birthday to you. Nice. Let's give her a hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, while you're still standing, I need you to give every single person in this room a high five. Every single person. Find every single person in this room and give them a high five. That can also be me if anyone would like to include Spicy in this. Palm Sunday. Palm Su- oh, I like that, James. Palm Sunday from Jalapeno James. My goodness. Yes, sir. Palm Sunday. All right, make your way back to your seats when you are finished with that task. Well, if we've not met before, my name is Bryce Holdman, as you see on the screen. And uh, that is my Instagram and Facebook. Feel free to follow me at Bryce Holdman. Uh, But I'm also known as Spicy Brycey around here. Um, I created that nickname for myself on accident one time uh, at CIU, and it has stuck ever since, and I love it. So hopefully it'll continue until the day I die. Um, But tonight, we are continuing our series called, can anybody tell me? Okay, G-Man's got it. Speaking of Garrison Holdman, I am Garrison's brother, younger brother. Um, He's he's seven years older than me, but um, they they, they still let me speak here. No, I'm just joking. Uh, But he's my brother. He's got an incredible voice. You probably heard it this past Sunday um, on the auditorium stage, if you were in there, killed it. I did not get the privilege to see it because I was in the traditional service, but I heard it, and I heard it was great. So we're in a series called Suit Up, and so far in this series, we've been looking at two different pieces of armor. I'm sorry, three different pieces of armor. This is week four of our series. Does anyone know what those three were? The first one, can anyone remember? Belt of truth, belt of truth. So Stow came and talked about the belt of truth to us where, where we learned that this has to be the necessity before any of the other pieces of armor. Paul mentions this one first, specifically that the belt of truth has to be fastened around our waist tightly before we can get to anything else. All right, week two, Trevor came and talked about the breastplate of righteousness. I like it. And so the, uh, Trevor came and told us that the next piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness, that, that Jesus, because of what he's done for us on the cross and out of the grave, he's, he's given us this, this breastplate to wear his own breastplate of righteousness to, to walk out in righteousness to show the world what Christ-likeness looks like. All right, and then week three, my man James came last week, and what did he talk about? Shoes, yes, okay, so we remember a little bit, right? So he had some Yeezys over here, which were super incredible, and I need to get myself a pair. But he talked about how we have to have feet fitted with the readiness that can only come from the gospel of peace. It can only come from the gospel of peace. And so not only can we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, but we are then called to share it with the feet fitted for readiness. So that's where we've been so far, and tonight we're gonna talk about the shield of faith. This is the shield I found. It says something on it. 
Van Venerated ratio. Sure. Um, so this is a lion on a shield that is the shield of faith for tonight. So in Ephesians 6, verse 16, that's where we can find the shield of faith passage. But tonight we're not going to be camping out in Ephesians. So that one verse sets this whole night up. But tonight we're going to be talking about faith. And the, the one thing that I want you to hear tonight is that this whole entire discussion comes down to a choice. And frankly, every single piece of this armor comes down to a choice that we have to either let the shield of faith, for instance, tonight, sit on the ground near us or to actually be willing and bold enough to pick it up and start using it as God desires. So tonight, my hope and my prayer for all of us, including myself, is that we would be willing to not only look at the shield of faith, not only recognize that it's there, but actually pick it up so it may serve its purpose. And that's where we're going to be going tonight. So if you would not mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes, I would love to pray for us one more time before we jump in. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share um, your word with these students. I pray that you would um, speak through me very clearly to portray your message of faith um, tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the willingness and the courage to step out in faith, to make the choice um, to, to pick up the shield of faith, just like all these other pieces of armors that Paul has talked about in Ephesians. And Lord, we love you. We are focused on you tonight, and we recognize that you have plans to move. I pray that we would get out of your way so that you may do so in all of our hearts. It's in all this we pray in Jesus' name, the only name worthy of our prayers. Amen. Okay. So the first thing I want to do is define for you what faith is. This is a term that if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard before a lot. And faith is something that is kind of generically thrown around. You know, you, you should have faith or you didn't have enough faith or I need to have more faith. And you hear this word over and over and over again. But frankly, even myself going to Bible college for three years now, I didn't really know how to clearly define this word. So I, I went to the most reliable source out there, uh, the, Mer the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Um, I first went to Wikipedia, but Wikipedia was not reliable. So I went to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary and found that the definition of faith is this, belief and trust in and loyalty to God. Belief and trust in and loyalty to God. Now this definition has two components to it. So first, the belief and trust in God. The belief and trust in God. And then the second is loyalty to God. Loyalty to God. And they go hand in hand. So if I'm going to be loyal to God, I first have to have a belief and trust that his words are true, that he actually is who he says he is, and he will actually do what he says he will do in and through each of us. But even beyond this definition, a lot of people think that the opposite of faith is fear. You may have heard that before. The opposite of faith is fear. But recently, I've come to the conclusion that rather the opposite of faith is certainty, not fear. The opposite of faith is certainty. So often we, we will go about this life pretending, pretending like we have all the answers to the questions that we may have about this life. For instance, maybe questions about our future, maybe questions about our relationships, maybe questions about ourselves, or maybe, just maybe, even questions about God. And regardless, the, the truth is that we all have these questions from time to time, but instead of trying to pretend like we have all the answers to them all the time, we have to choose to pick up our shield of faith each time these questions slip in and focus on being faithful to the one who does have all the answers, whether or not, regardless of whether or not he gives us those answers when we ask for them. 
And personally, tonight, I think the Old Testament gives us a very prime example, a very clear example of what this constant picking up of our shield of faith is meant to look like. So as we jump in, if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, I'm going to be looking at one verse in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16 is where we're going to be going. So you can turn there with me if you'd like. First Samuel 16. The one verse I want to look at is verse 13. And before we jump into that verse, I want to give a little bit of context. Now, if, if you were here this past weekend and you went to the traditional service at any point, you may have heard me preach from this exact same text. But tonight, I believe God has, in preparation for tonight, given me a different outlook on this. On this one verse that I spent a lot of time in on Sunday, but had a whole new meaning that I, I truly believe represents what the shield of faith is supposed to look like in the life of David. So verse 13 is where we're going to be going, but a little bit of context prior to that. Samuel is the guy that this whole book is focused around. So Samuel is a prophet that God has appointed to, in this moment, go and anoint his new king. So Saul, a guy named Saul, you may have heard him before, he's on the throne right now of Israel. But then God tells Samuel, I've rejected Saul. Saul has started to do his own thing. I don't need him on the throne anymore, so I'm anointing a new king, and I need you, Samuel, to go and do that for me. So he tells Samuel, I'm gonna tell you where to go. I'm gonna tell you who to find, but I'm not gonna tell you who this guy is yet. So God knows exactly who it's gonna be, and spoiler alert, it's gonna be David, okay? So we, we, we read that in this chapter. So, so Samuel goes, and he has no clue who he's going to, but he knows what house he can find him in. So he goes to Jesse's house, David's father. He knocks on the door, he says, Jesse, I've got good news for you. God has told me that one of your sons is gonna be the next king of Israel, all of Israel. Now, if I'm Jesse in this moment, I'm super excited. I am pumped out of my mind. One of my sons is gonna become something great. And so when I hear this, I'm super excited if I'm Jesse, but, but then Samuel says, okay, yes, you can be excited, but here's what needs to happen. I need you to go get all your sons, all of them, and meet me outside in five minutes, and we are going to line them up one by one, and one of them, God has already promised that one of them is gonna be the next king of Israel, and we're gonna find out who that is. And so Jesse obeys, he gets his sons, he steps outside with Samuel, and Samuel goes one by one by one by one by one and comes up short every time. And so Samuel gets to the end of his, his, uh, his, his row of sons, and he says, Jesse, God has told me that one of your sons is gonna be the next king of Israel, but he's rejected all of these people that you've brought before me. Do you have any more sons? And so Jesse then says, well, yes, I actually have one more that I didn't bother bringing out here because he's just tending his sheep. He's just being a shepherd like he has every day, and he, he just didn't want to come with me when I, when I said we had a visitor, Samuel. So then Samuel freaks out. He says, this, this, this might be the guy. You have to go get him. I told you to bring all your sons. So we need this final son, this youngest son of yours, to come into our presence so that we can see if God is anointing him. So then David comes in, and immediately when David walks in the room, Samuel sees him, and God tells Samuel in that moment, don't do anything else. Don't say anything else. Just anoint him. That's who it is. This is who I'm choosing. And so in verse 13, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him, David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now on Sunday morning, I talked about this verse in a similar way. And I, I pointed this out as well. And I think it has something to say to us tonight. In verse 13, he has, Samuel has just anointed David the next king of Israel. But then he leaves. He pours the oil on him. He tells him, you are going to be the next king of Israel. The spirit of the Lord comes upon David 
And if I'm David, I'm super excited right off the bat. But then I've got a lot of questions for Samuel and God. Samuel, this is great. I'm super excited. But now what? Who do I need to talk to? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do to fulfill the promise you just gave me from God? Just, just go ahead and map the course out for me. Show me what I need to do to get to where you just told me I'm going to be. So David has a lot of questions. But amidst all the questions David may have about his anointing, Samuel leaves. So David chooses, in this moment, David chooses to take up his shield of faith here. He chooses to take up his shield of faith and trust God that God will guide him without any answers to the questions he may have in this moment about his future. And similarly, tonight, God will guide you and God will guide me even without giving us answers to the questions we may be asking him. Maybe tonight you're in here and you have a lot of questions for God. God hears your questions being asked. He can handle your questions being asked. He can even handle our doubts towards him fulfilling the promise that he made us. But maybe tonight he's asking you and he's asking me to be willing and bold enough to take up our shield of faith even when he does not give us the answers to our question or questions. Even when we are crying out to God saying, God, if you would just show me the way I need to go, I'll trust you. And maybe God is challenging us tonight to trust him and to be faithful and to pick up the shield of faith even if and even when he does not give us those answers, when we desire them. Are we willing to head into the battles that lie ahead of us with faith and with confidence because of that faith, knowing that God is with us, just like he was with David? And speaking of heading into battle with our shield of faith, the next scene in David's life, I believe, illustrates this point beautifully of another example of how he is willing to pick up his shield of faith. So in chapter 17, your Bible probably has a similar header to mine that says David and Goliath. Now I'm gonna take a wild guess here and say that most people in this room tonight have heard this story, whether that's long ago or whether that's even in one of our series in the past few years. You've probably heard this, series, or this, uh, this passage preached about or taught about, or maybe you've read it on your own. So I'm, I'm not gonna talk about the whole story of David and Goliath, but I want to highlight how David handles this whole situation. You see, the ones around David are fearing their chances against Goliath, but David offers to fight him. Now, David is much smaller, he's much weaker, and he's much less experienced in battles compared to this giant in front of him, the Philistine Goliath. However, even though all this is the case, even though he's smaller, even though he's weaker, even though he has way less experience in battle, he's willing to once again pick up his shield of faith and step into battle one-on-one -on -one versus Goliath without a second thought. And he once again shows his confidence and his faith in God in verse 37. And in verse 37, he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear when I was a shepherd, that same Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Will deliver me from, this hand, from, from the hand of this Philistine. You see, David is sticking to his faith he had in God way before this moment, even way before he was anointed in the passage we just read. Because what, what he's referring to here is when he was a shepherd. The same Lord that delivered me from any attacks that were coming my way, any battles put in my life then, is the same Lord that I can have confidence and I can have faith in tonight to deliver me in the same way he did back then. He isn't picking and choosing 
when he will have his shield of faith with him. In fact, right before he fights Goliath, Saul tries to get David to wear his own armor. He tells him, here, take my sword, take my shield, take my helmet. You'll, you'll need this to protect you. But then David tries it on, and because he wasn't a soldier like the others around him, he'd never worn this before. And so when he puts this on, just like we would if, if, if we put all this armor on, we wouldn't be able to move as quickly, and we wouldn't be, feel as comfortable going into battle. So he ends up taking it off. And he tells Saul, I don't need this. And I believe that the reason he didn't need it was because he already had a shield. And it wasn't a physical shield like the one that Saul was trying to get him to use. It was a shield of faith that he had already decided way before that moment that the reason I can have confidence to step into this battle has nothing to do with the physical armor I'm wearing or not wearing. It has to do with the the spiritual armor that I have on. And in this case, the shield of faith. And just like David displays here, even when we don't know the outcome, we have to be willing to step in to the fight with faith. And maybe tonight God is challenging us with that. Bryce, even if you don't know the outcome to that battle that you're gonna walk into Monday morning, are you willing to keep walking, trusting that I'm with you? Trusting that I'm gonna see you through to the other side, just like I've proven over and over and over in my life, and the lives around me. Well, we've talked about David and how he actively picked up his shield of faith on multiple occasions throughout his life, but now I wanna shift gears a little bit and talk about the last part of this Ephesians verse that I read at the beginning that talks about this shield of faith. You see, the purpose behind having our shield of faith is not just to protect us, but also to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Ephesians 6, verse 16 has that part at the end of it. Extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, there's something we all need to realize tonight, and that's the evil one, Satan, is active in this world, specifically active in attacking the people in this room and the body of Christ outside this room. The ones who have said yes to the call, yes, Jesus, I'll go, yes, Jesus, I'll serve you. Yes, Jesus, you're the only thing I need. That's who Satan is attacking in this world. And in order to best understand how he's attacking us, I think it's important that we talk about some of these flaming arrows, as Paul mentions in this verse, in a spiritual sense. So I want to mention three in particular that I see as the most prominent in our world today. And in preparation for this sermon on Wednesday and also today, these three, there there were a whole list of them that I found online and in my head. And I was going through all of them, and these three really jumped out to me. Because these three, I feel like, are very, 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 very prominent in our world and maybe in some of our lives here tonight. So the first one, Satan loves to try to convince you and I that he is not real. Satan loves to try to convince us that he doesn't exist. But here's the truth. Satan is and has always been and always will be a liar. So just for a moment, think about it. If he can get us to believe that he doesn't exist, then we will not know where these flaming arrows or these attacks are coming from. And we will wind up most likely, if you're anything like me, blaming God immediately. And this is something I see all the time, is that that people that don't have a clear understanding of Satan and who he is and the fact that he's actually real, that he's actually doing something in this world and trying to destroy the the body of Christ that that we are a part of, those people that don't have a clear understanding of that will be very quick to blame God 
for every little thing that happens in their life. And even some people will be very quick to blame Satan for maybe a small headache that we have or just something super minor in our life that we will immediately attribute it to this spiritual warfare that's taking place in our life. So what I'm not saying is that every single bad thing that takes place in our life or to us, I'm not saying that is from the evil one. But what I am saying is that if we allow it to, if we allow Satan to, if we don't have our shield of faith up, what Satan will do, because I've seen it time and time again in my life, what Satan will do is he will come and take that small thing that has just happened to us and he'll make it way worse. If we do not have the eyes, the heart, the mind, and the shield of faith upon us to know what his attacks are and where they're coming from. So how do we extinguish this flaming arrow? The, the flaming arrow that Satan is throwing at us saying, Bryce, I'm not real. You don't actually believe that I, I actually do something in this world, right? How, how do we extinguish this flaming arrow? We extinguish it by picking up our shield of faith and having faith that God's word is indeed true. By having faith that God's word is true. In 1 Peter Chapter five, verse eight, you don't have to turn there. The Bible tells us your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's a bunch of imagery going on there. Looking for someone to devour. Now, if we recognize this book as truth from the front to the back, we can have faith that the devil truly is active in our world and looking for ways to get us, but we can also have faith to know that God has already overcome that battle. And if we are focused on the one who's overcome that battle, then we too can overcome those battles. We too can take up our shield of faith and extinguish that flaming arrow that's coming at us more often than we may think. So that's the first one, is that Satan loves to try to convince us that he's not real. Now the second one that I see is division. Satan loves division, not the mathematical uh, thing. So not the opposite of multiplication, different type of division. You see, we were created to be in fellowship with one another. God desires, even from the start, that we do this thing called life together, among one another. But regardless of what we look like, what we sound like, or what we act like, we were meant to be united. We were meant to be united, not divided. Jesus even says in Mark 3, verse 25, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot and that house will not stand. Satan wants us to be divided amongst ourselves, but also against ourselves. But the way we extinguish this flaming arrow of division is by taking up our shield of faith and standing unified with one another in faith. Standing unified with one another in faith as God allows us to through his grace, which we were called to show to one another. So that's the second one, division. So, so far, Satan doesn't want us to know he's real and Satan loves to divide us. But here's the third one. The final flaming arrow I wanna hit on tonight has to do with love. I truly believe that Satan doesn't want us to feel love, number one, but he also doesn't want us to show love to the ones around us. You see, the truth is we don't deserve any love from God because of our sin. We do not deserve it. We sing a song called Reckless Love a lot. You may have heard it that tells us this very clearly. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, but you still give yourself away. We don't deserve it from God. 
And often in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, Satan has reminded me that. That Bryce, you don't deserve the love coming from God. So Satan loves to remind us that we don't deserve it. But what's crazy about God's love is that even when we don't deserve it, it finds us. Even when we're not looking for it sometimes, it finds us. It's willing to chase us down wherever we go, regardless of how far I run this way. When I turn around, God's still gonna be there with his arms wide open, wanting us back because of his love. And even though Satan can distract us from God's love, he can't take it away from us. He can't just pull God's love completely out of this world. He can't do it. He doesn't have the power to do that. And tonight, maybe there's someone in here who has felt like they've gone too far from the love of God, way too far, that they know in their hearts, I, even if I were to turn around, there's no way God would still be there. There's no way. And maybe you've, you've allowed yourself to be convinced of that, and, and the evil one in this moment and in other moments in the past are, is, is still having a grip on that and is still using that to keep you walking the wrong way, to keep you running the, 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 the wrong way from wherever God is not. We have to believe it's actually there in our lives, that the love of God is actually there in this world, because it is. So similarly, we must be people willing to show that same love to others as it's shown to us. We're called to show unconditional love to those who would not feel loved otherwise, who the world calls outcasts, who the world defines as not lovable, Satan tries to convince us that someone else will love those people. It's not our job. Bryce, you, you don't have to focus on loving them. Just, just stick to your close friends because someone else will love them. When in reality, if, if the church, the body of Christ, believers in Jesus Christ do not love the people that the world doesn't love, who on the face of this planet is going to? However, the way we extinguish this flaming error from the evil one is by once again picking up our shield of faith and believing in faith that God loves us, and because he loves us, turning to others and loving them the same exact way. We can love because he first loved us. And regardless of how many times Satan tries and fails to convince us that God's love isn't there, and tries to remind us not to pick up our shield of faith and guard ourselves against the the flaming arrows he's shooting at us. Regardless of how many times that takes place and regardless of how many times we run the wrong way away from God, the good news, the only thing that I could possibly uh, want you to hear tonight above all else that I've said is that regardless of how far we run, if we turn around, he's still gonna be there. Every time. He's willing to go as far as you are away from his presence just to have you back into it. So tonight, I'm, I'm not sure what armor you came in here wearing, but God calls us to pick up our shield of faith, not just once or twice, but on a daily basis, moment by moment, step by step. Because the truth is, as soon as we walk out of this building, there are gonna be things in our lives that tell us to put it down if we have it up. There are gonna be things in our lives that need us to pick it up if we don't have it up and don't have it on us and don't have it in front of us. There are gonna be arrows that are shot at us from all different points that we could possibly look that Satan is trying his hardest to pierce us with one or two of them 
or all of them, but the way that we extinguish them, not just protect ourselves from them, but extinguish them is by picking this up. And not just picking it up, but using it as protection to extinguish the flaming arrows that Satan will shoot. This has to be a daily thing. It can't just be a spiritual high thing that happens tonight and then Monday morning it just goes away. This has to be a thing that we remind ourselves of, but we also challenge the ones around us to do. That because I love you, I'm challenging you to pick up the one thing among other things that Paul tells us will protect us and will help us in this walk of life that God's called us to. So tonight, believe that God is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. He's done what he said he's done. And he's willing to come alongside every single person in this room to help us and to deliver us from the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for the love that you have for each and every person in this room. And regardless of what anyone may think or have been told about your love, I pray that the, that the, the truth will be realized tonight, that you are who you say you are. You died for us as you said you have done, and you desire to have us back as you talk a lot about in scripture. I pray for anyone in this room who is not feeling loved right now, that feels like they've, they've gone too far away from your presence, that there's no way you would still want them back. And I pray for them that, Lord, you would open their eyes in this moment and every moment going forward, knowing without a shadow of a doubt, because of the faith they have in you, where it should be and where it should be focused, that you love them and you want them desperately. I pray that you would allow us all to have the courage, the boldness, and the willingness in every moment going forward to pick up the shield of faith that you desire we have on us at all times. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise as we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.